Again, my name is Stuart Mazell, I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for uh, visiting with us, those of you who are visiting. Thank you for those of you who are members or uh, regular attenders who are continuing to visit with us and be with us, and thanks to all of you who are joining us online. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of hate to say goodbye to this sermon series. It has been a real blessing to me, and I, I hope it has been a great encouragement and help to you as well. Well, we got one more Sunday today to talk about what love is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if I'm honest, we've only really scratched the surface. Um, but we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, but of course, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. And this is what the Spirit is saying through the Apostle Paul. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Allow me to pray for us. Father, you tell us in your word that you are love and that those who abide in love abide in you. So I ask on behalf of myself and all the folks who are here today and all the folks who are listening online that by your spirit you would produce the kind of love we just read about in us, that we really would abide in that love, that we would abound in that love. And that love would not just be the kind of love that we give back to you because you loved us first, but the kind of love where we love one another well and we love those outside of these walls well. For your glory, 
uh, for our good and for their good. And, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that whatever may be a hindrance today, whatever may uh, cause our, our hearts and our minds to just not hear, not listen, not pay attention to, not grasp your truth, would you remove whatever barrier, would you remove whatever problem there is and allow us to see the Lord Jesus clearly and to see more of this love that you have for us in him. And I would ask that if there is anyone here today that does not know your love in a personal way in Christ, that today would be the day that you'd bring them to faith that today would be the day that they would hear afresh and anew of your great love for sinners in the Lord Jesus, and their hearts would be strangely warmed, their minds would be engaged, and they would want to embrace you, Lord Jesus, as you are presented in this good news. Bring about whatever will be for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I was uh, doing study for this series, I came across a book called Love 2.0, Creating Happiness and Health in Moments of Connection. And I thought, okay, let's see what this book is all about. And I'd I didn't read it from cover to cover or anything. I just kind of checked it out, see what it's about. It's written by Barbara Fredrickson, professor of psychology at UNC Chapel Hill, but don't hold that against her. You can hold this against her, though. This is what she says in the book. I need to ask you to disengage from some of your most cherished beliefs about love as well. The notions that love is exclusive, lasting, and unconditional. These deeply held beliefs are often more wish than reality in people's lives. Love's time scale is far shorter than we typically think. Love, as you'll see, is not lasting. It's actually far more fleeting than most of us would care to acknowledge. I don't know anything about Miss Fredrickson. I don't really know if she is a believer or not. All I know is from what I've read in this book that basically she's saying that love does not last. Love is a momentary feeling. Now, I'm hoping that for those of you who have been a part of this series, you recognize that is not the truth. Yes, love does have a feeling aspect to it, certainly, but love is so much greater, so much bigger, so much better. And contrary to what Miss Fredrickson says, love never ends. If it's real love, if it's true love, if it's God's love, love never ends. It is not fleeting. It is not the kind of thing that is here for a moment and then gone. Love never ends. 
And I'm not just saying that. This is the Holy Spirit saying it in Scripture. Verse 8 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Love never ends. And if that's what love is, love is something that does not end. This patient love, this kind love, a love that is not irritable, a love that rejoices with the truth, but it doesn't rejoice with wrongdoing, a love that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things, that kind of love never ends. And to make his point even stronger, Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes on in verse 8 and and following where he says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, to get some context here, the church in Corinth, they were prideful. They were full of themselves because they had special gifts. They were speaking in tongues. They were, have words of knowledge. They were prophesying. And they were saying, look how great we are. We've got these awesome gifts. And Paul's saying, you've missed something. Prophecy is going to cease. Tongues they're going to cease. Even knowledge, the way we understand it, it's going to cease. But you know the one thing that will not cease? Love. Love never ends. Then he goes on to explain part of this in verse 9 and 10. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There's a lot we can say about these two verses, so let me just try to cut to the chase here. The basic gist of what Paul is saying is our knowledge in this life is limited. No matter how smart you are, no matter how learned you are, even if you have that kind of photographic memory where you can remember almost everything you've ever read, everything you've ever seen, your knowledge is still just a drop in the ocean. Our knowledge in this life is always partial. And even when we prophesy, even when we speak on behalf of God in some way, our prophecy is not full. We don't know the whole picture. We don't know the beginning from the end. But when the perfect comes, the partial is going to pass away. And different people have different interpretations of what the perfect means. But regardless of what it does mean, which I believe it means the perfect of the age to come, but there are others who believe it differently, Either way, the idea here is that when the perfect comes, these things will pass away, but love never ends. As Presbyterians, and and let me just say, I know that some of you really get annoyed by me when I pick on Presbyterians, but look, we are Presbyterians. I'm not going to pick on the Baptists, because I'm not a Baptist. 
I'm not going to pick on the Methodists because I'm not a Methodist. The only people I'm going to pick on are the people that are already a part of who we are because those are the ones that I know the best, all right? So as Presbyterians, we highly value knowledge, right? Our theology. And, and it, it's good. It's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Theology and truth, all of that is so foundational, so good for us. But what Paul is saying is that we know only in part. Our theology is only in part. It's limited. When the perfect comes, all of our limitations will be done away with. There's a man uh, that even Protestants really appreciate for his thoroughness in theological studies, even though he's not uh, a Protestant. He was a, a Roman Catholic during the 1200s, and his name was Thomas Aquinas. And he is sporting an awesome haircut. <laughs> I'm thinking about getting one of those. He wrote one of the largest theological tomes, the Summa Theologica, the summary of theology. I had to read some of this when I was in graduate school. Five volumes on Amazon. I won't tell you how much it costs because you will not believe it. 3,020 pages of summarizing theology. And here's what he says after a worship service where he had an event. And we don't know exactly what happened because he never explained it. But he had something happen during that worship service where he said afterwards, the end of my labors has come. All that I have written appears to be as so much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. I can write no more. I have seen things that make my writings like straw. Here's a man who, at least in some way, got some type of glimpse of something of the glory of God, and he said, everything that I've written, the Summa Theologica, and all the other volumes that I wrote, it's basically straw that can be blown away because God is so much greater. God is so much bigger and better than even my theological uh, underpinnings, my theological thought processes, all the things that I've written down is really just straw compared to that vision that I got to see. And I would say, whatever vision he saw, he only saw a glimpse. Only a glimpse. And that's what Paul goes on basically to say in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. You know, some of you, um, last night I was wearing glasses, and some of you have never seen me wearing glasses before, and so I know you were talking about me um, and saying how good I looked in those glasses. But I will say 
that it was very interesting to me because my eyes were tired and that's why I was wearing the glasses. And um, no, I don't wear contacts usually. These are brand new glasses that I just got a couple weeks ago. And it was interesting because I put the glasses on and I can like tell your facial expressions. I guess that's why I'm not wearing it today because I don't want to know what your facial expressions are. But no, I actually forgot them. I walked out the door without them. Uh, but I could see more clearly what's going on. And when I look in the mirror, I can say, wow, oh, I need to take these back off because I look better without them. But I will say that that's what this reminds me of. We're just seeing dimly. It's fuzzy. The best our knowledge and our insight and our views can get, it's limited. But then, when we see Jesus face to face, we know in part now, but then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. I don't know what that's going to be like, but I can tell you, it will be amazing. So good to be to know as we are known. And yet, what Paul's point here is, is not that. David Garland in his uh, commentary on 1 Corinthians says this, at the consummation, our fragmentary knowledge will be replaced. Our notions, illusions, and misconceptions about ourselves, the world, and God will be dispelled and clarified. And I, I tell you, I am so looking forward to that. But Paul's point really is this. As good as that's going to be, love is greater. Love will last forever. Let, let's face it, in this life, the, some of the reason that we value knowledge is because knowledge is power, and we can use that power to make ourselves seem better than other people, because I know more than you. Or maybe you can come to me and ask questions, and I, I love to throw out my answers. Or maybe we just like lording it over other people when we say, I know this and you don't. But love, love shares knowledge for another person's good. Not to make themselves puffed up, not to bring glory to themselves, but for the other person's good. But see, in the age to come, we'll all know as we're known. And there'll be no power plays. There'll be no one who says, I know more than you, because we'll all know as we are known. And the only thing that will really be left in that is loving each other. To say it another way, there's coming a day where you will not need knowledge because you already have it. There's coming a day when you will not need preaching because you will already know and you will already be righteous. But there will never be a day where you do not need love. And there will never be a day where you do not need to give 
love. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here. The Corinthians, they're so puffed up with their knowledge and with their gifts. And he's saying, no, church, you got it wrong. If you want to build yourself up with something, build yourself up with love. Love for one another, love for God, love for people outside of the church. You know, last night, I saw a small picture of that kind of love at our bonfire. People talking to each other, asking how each other's doing, wanting to find out what, how are the kids or, you know, what's going on at work. Just sharing life together. And that is going to be what the new age is going to be like, the age to come. It is going to be a time where it will be sharing, enjoying God and one another forever because love never ends. Doesn't that sound great? Isn't that something you want to be a part of? Even greater than that, though, is God's love for us. And I am so excited to share this good news with you. You see, not only just love in general, if it's true love, lasts forever, but God's love, God's love for sinners like me and you, God's love for us in Christ lasts forever. God's love for us in Christ lasts forever. Last week, when we talked about how love endures forever, we read this passage from uh, Psalm 136, verses 1 through 3. There it is. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His steadfast love endures forever. It lasts forever. Forever. There will never be a day where you can say God's love has stopped. There will never be a day, if you're in Christ, there will never be a day where some, you'll be able to say, you know what, God doesn't love me today. I really messed up. Nope. His love endures forever. His love lasts forever. And it endures our sinfulness, our foolishness, our stupid decisions, the things we go, do that go, make us go astray. Whatever it is, He endures now, yes, that love sometimes disciplines us for our wrongdoing, but it does not stop. If you're a parent, you know a little bit about this. As you look at your kids, and let's just face it, kids do things that really get under our skin. They do. I love my kids. They can get under my skin, just as I can get under their skin. But I can tell you one thing, no matter what happens, no matter what they do, I love them. And that doesn't change. I can be annoyed 
but I still love them. And if that's true of me as a sinful human being who gets lots of things wrong, just imagine what the father of his people, whom he dearly loves and showed that love in the Lord Jesus, dying for our sins and rising from the dead, just imagine what kind of love he has for us. The author of Lamentations says it this way, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning when we wake up, it's brand new mercy. Brand new love. Brand new grace. It's not as if God is keeping an account and going, all right, well, you screwed up there, you screwed up there, let's see. That's a hundred screw-ups in this one week. I'm going to have to take some uh, love away from you. Nope. That's not how it works. Not how it works. It is a love that continues. A love where the mercies never come to an end. A love where his mercy is new every morning. A love that is faithful till the end. That is the good news of the love of God in Christ. And if that doesn't do it for you, the end of Romans 8 tells us what kind of love we're dealing with here. It's not just a love that lasts forever, but it gets annoyed with you. No, it is a love that says, this is what Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Let me ask you before I read the last phrase, are you a part of creation? Then you're included in this nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is one of the best things I have ever heard in my life because there is nothing that can separate us from God's love for us in Christ. Nothing. Not me, not you, not anything that happens, not some kind of satanic attack, not something that's happening over in Israel right now, not Russia coming to attack, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Never, not never, at no time will God remove his love from his people in Christ. Never. I can't say it strong enough. I wish I had a word that would say never, 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 in just one word, but I can't. It doesn't exist. Would someone please invent it and then put it in a dictionary so I can preach this message again and use that word? Because that's what we need to remember. It is a never, ever, ever kind of thing. And when you realize that, it frees you up. It frees you up to love God and to love other people because you know you are deeply loved. Deeply, deeply loved. 
And you know what? God wants our love for others to have the same kind of permanence that he has for us. God wants our love for others to have this kind of lasting permanence. Let me explain this from the book of 1 Corinthians itself. Just back one chapter, Paul reminds the the church in Corinth, and the Holy Spirit is reminding us today that we are all members of the body of Christ. Christ is our head, and we are his body. You are the body of Christ, and we are individually members of it. So let's just think this through. If the head is doing something, then the body goes along with it, right? Last night, my head decided that I wanted to go to a church bonfire. And so my body went along with it. My head enjoyed fellowship with my family in Christ, and my body was involved in that too. And my head got it in its idea that it wanted to try a s'mores burger, and my body enjoyed it. The same is true with Christ and his church. If Christ's love is a love that never ends, then what should the love of the body be? A love that's not just patient, not just kind, but a love that never ends. Jesus, our head, loves people, and his love never ends. And we, his body, are called to love as he loves with a steadfast love. And I have to ask, do I love people like that? Not just my family and close friends, not just you guys, but I'm talking about people who are difficult to love. Do I love like that? People who have different ideals than me. People I think are way wrong about their theology or their politics or their worldview or their ethics. Do I have a love that never ends for them? What about people who get under my skin? What about people who have offended and hurt me? And I hear the voice of Jesus saying, love never ends. If you really love this person, that love never ends. And I want to call all of us to something I mentioned in the very first sermon in the series. And we need to hear it one more time. Loving this way, loving the way God calls us to love, is maturity. It is maturity. Maturity is not knowing all the facts about theology. That may be a part but it is not maturity. Maturity is not 
doing things. It may be a part, but it is not maturity. Maturity is loving the way God calls us to. Paul says as much in verse 11. And when I saw this for the first time, just changed my whole mindset. Remember, Paul's talking about the importance of love and how love is preeminent and love is everything because God, Jesus even says that all of God's commands can be summed up by loving God and loving others, right? So that's what love is about. It's the summation of everything. And then in this passage, in verse 11, he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Church in Corinth, you're acting like children. Because you're so focused on, I can speak in tongues, I got prophecy, I got a word of knowledge, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's a two-year-old, right? It's not look at me, it's how can I care for you? That's love. That's maturity. Loving other people, caring for them where they are, giving of ourselves. It's time, church, for us to put away childish ways. And it's time for us to be mature in Christ. And that means loving. Not just God, but each other. Not just each other, but people outside of these walls. Love. That is what it looks like to be mature in Christ. Because Jesus, out of love for us, left the riches, the glory, the goodness, the wonder, the amazement of heaven, and he put on flesh, and he died, taking all of our sin upon himself, and then he buried it in the grave, and rose triumphant, and said, everyone who looks to me will have life forever. And not only that, they know I love them. And my love never ends. So your action point. This is a hard one, but it's one that we need. If we want to be mature in Christ, this is what we need to do. Pursue love every day for the rest of your life. Don't let there be a day where you say, you know what, I don't need to pursue love today. I'm good. I'll pursue something else. See, Paul writes all of this in 1 Corinthians about what love is. He spells out, you want to know what love is? This is what love is. And then in chapter 14, the very first two words, pursue love. Pursue love. 
pursue it. Don't just, guys, don't just say, that was a pretty good sermon series. Let's move on to the next one. Pursue love. And if you don't know how to do that, Holy Spirit, teach me what it means to pursue love. I want to know what love is. I want to know how to love people. I want to know what it looks like to love my neighbor as myself. Work in me that I will pursue love every day of my life. And I promise you, if you ask the Holy Spirit in faith to produce that kind of love in you, little by little, bit by bit, it will happen. Because He wants that more for you than you want it for yourself. Isn't our God good? So by the work of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, let's abound in love more and more. And I can't wait to see what this congregation is going to be like months from now, years from now, as the Spirit causes us to abound in this kind of love. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you want love in our lives more than we want it. It is a part of the fruit that you produce in us. So produce it. That we would be mature in Christ and we would build one another up in love so that we would be the mature church you call us to be, loving our God with everything we are, loving one another as you have loved us, Jesus, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And may we see great fruit come from that. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your great love for us. Amen.